on this season three premiere episode of Let's Talk About It. We're going to do a review of Jordan Peele's latest movie, Nope. Is there more than meets the eye with this summer blockbuster? We'll talk some of the themes that we noticed and let you know whether or not you should go to the movies to go see it. And in our relationship segment, we're going to talk about apologies. What do we owe the people that we're in a relationship with? And should we hold public figures to that same standard? You're here. You've joined us. Now let's talk about it. Well, hello there. Yo. It's been a long time. <laughs> That's how you're going to start? Pointing out how long it's been? I thought you were going to go for it with the song lyric no, and you didn't help me no, out. No, I'm not contributing to this. <laughs> We've missed you guys. This is Malcolm Morgan. <laughs> this is Micah Morgan. And you're listening to Let's Talk About It. Also listening to this award-winning uh, pre, uh, what is, what is this? intro music. Oh, yeah. I mean, you could jam to this. It. I think we have the best, best, <laughs> best music in the in the business. I gotta yeah, say, yeah. Shout out to the producer. Don't know who it was, but thank you for that. Yes, appreciate your contributions. Well, guys, it's been a long time, and we've missed you guys. Really have. Yeah, we really shouldn't have left you. We should without some little nieces and nephews or a dope beat to step to. Mm, step two. Step two. Step two. Pick it, pick it, pick it. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. It's, it's a day that I wish I could have taken a nap, but I got a little energy drink today. Feeling good? Wow, look at you caffeinated. Yeah. You know, saving the world. <laughs> How are you doing today, my love? I am caffeinated. I chose to do an energy drink today. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, I'm vibing. I'm excited. This has uh, been a long time coming. It has been. So let's talk about this latest mm. Jordan Peele movie. I don't want to give too much away before we start talking about it, but we have some exciting things to talk about this movie. We've been, let me tell you, it was an ordeal to even go see this movie. Oh, we have bones to pick. Yes, AMC, we're going to have to have a conversation about this. <laughs> we went and bought tickets like super early. We were going to go see a Thursday night showing of the movie, and then the movie we're going to decided the day of, they want to do renovations or something. We still don't, do we know? I have no idea. The movie theater just shut down. Just shut down. You couldn't get tickets to any movie. So Also, comma, how often has this movie have we ever seen this movie theater shut down? Never I mean, it's a pretty major movie theater. It it truly felt like we were trying to be thwarted yes. by the powers that be. Yeah. <laughs> but we made it. We did. We made it. Had to go to a, a much further theater away that wasn't as nice as the one we normally like. That's all right. But we did it because we wanted to see this movie. We've been waiting. <laughs> I don't even know how Our long. Our whole lives, <laughs> as I have been saying, and you have been graciously reminding me that that's not true, but that's okay. That's how I felt. I feel like that's an episode. Like, have we been waiting for anything our whole <laughs> lives? Next. Well, let's talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So the ordeal to get to the movie was well worth it. Yes. 
Are we still burying the lead in terms of what movie this is? No, we already said that it was nope. Oh, did we? Yeah, we are said oh, it at the beginning. It's cool. <laughs> it's cool. You're just not paying attention. It's fine. Oh. It's been a while. You got to get the podcasting muscles back. I know. Back. Yeah, the rhythm. Yeah. I'm off. Um, so, nope. I'm going to give you guys a brief synopsis. If you have not seen the movie and you care about spoilers, we are going to spoil the movie, guys. Yeah. You might just want to pause this podcast and fast forward. This is your spoiler alert. <laughs> From this point on, you have been alerted. We're not saving you from anything. No. Um, so uh, this movie is centered around the Haywood family, um, according to the movie, and I believe this is fictional. I don't think this is based in, yeah, in reality. We really didn't check. Yeah, <laughs> it'd be really be, dope if it was. It, it'd be. A, I have a lot more questions after that. <laughs> if this was based on a true story. Um, the Haywood family, who owns a ranch and is known for. Um, bringing horses to Hollywood, essentially training them, um, being required for the safety. And so, if you saw a movie with a horse in it, Haywood Family Ranch were the ones that did it. Well, the the background was mm-hmm. that the very first video clip that was ever recorded on yep. film was of a gentleman with the last name Haywood. I don't know if he was also an, an Otis. I think he had a different last name just because it was. A long time ago. Oh, but okay. Yeah. But a black man mm-hmm. on a horse that this was the very first clip that was recorded. So mm-hmm. that was kind of the backdrop mm-hmm. of the Haywood family that yes. we've been. What did, <laughs> what did Emerald say? Uh, she had something real cute that she said. We've been putting the fence. We. Oh, what did she say? Oh, that's going to make me mad. Yeah. Anyway, she had something real cute about how mm-hmm. we've always been doing film. Yeah. Um. So uh, family is. Um, kind of behind this company. I'm, I'm skipping a whole bunch of stuff to, just to get to the good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, they they uh, they were struggling financially. Um, the son, OJ, Otis Jr., took over for his father. And I think Emerald is kind of a wild child out here just living her best life. Mm-hmm. But she comes to help occasionally, even though she comes really late to meetings she's supposed to be too. Which would make the word help a very interesting way to describe what she was doing. <laughs> but OJ is a much more reserved personality, much more fo- focused on the work. Mm-hmm. The oldest uh, sibling. The oldest sibling. And Emerald is the, she brings the show. She brings the energy. Mm-hmm. Um, their father used to used to do this. Um, and, you know, he had his own personality. He brings his own personality to it. And I think Emerald uh, brought that energy mm-hmm. that uh, her father did. Um, so the father gets killed in a... We'll call it freak accident before we explain what's happening. We will call it that. Um, and all that's OJ is given a coin that they pull out of their father's, I guess, brain or neck or something, and that is what ultimately killed him. And they have it posted up in one of the in the living room, I believe. Uh, but soon they start having these really strange things happening. Um, you know, OJ is having to sell some of the horses to to make some money because they're not really making a whole lot of money mm-hmm. uh, from their horse training. And then um, one of the horses escapes, and all we hear is it mysteriously disappearing and screaming Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. with no explanation. (laughs) So uh, at first glance, it appears that it's a UFO that is coming in and abducting horses and other people. Turns out it is not a UFO. It is an animal of some sort, Mm -hmm. some sort of interdimensional being that comes to eat living things, it appears. Yeah. So the Haywoods decide we need to record this, get this on tape, so people will believe us. Emerald decides. Emerald decides. Because <laughs> yes. she's like, we about to make this money. We about to make this money. <laughs> we about to go viral now. Yeah. Um. So they, they go to uh, 
electronic store meet a man named Angel who helps them set up all of this video equipment. He thinks they're just setting up security equipment, and soon he realizes, oh, there's something else going on here. Mm-hmm. Long story short, they're just not able to get the shot that they need. No. So Emerald remembers a director that they worked with very briefly earlier in the movie mm-hmm. who she believes can get the perfect shot. The perfect shot. <laughs> so they call him in um, initially. He says no, and then eventually he does come, and they try to set up this elaborate ruse to get the perfect shot. I'm skipping over some stuff just to let you guys know. Just want to give you guys the basics. Um, So they come up with this elaborate plan. OJ is able to lure the thing out into the open Mm -hmm. where they can shoot it, get the shot, and have documented evidence. Long story less long, (laughs) calamity happens, and... (laughs) Despite their best efforts, despite actually getting the shot, they lose the footage. They do. And so near the end of the movie, this being is chasing down Emerald, who's trying to escape. And she gets to this nearby amusement park and is able to get the perfect image Mm. to prove that this interdimensional being is what it is. And has been doing what it's been doing. And has been doing what it's been doing. (laughs) That is a very rough synopsis of the movie. But we're going to talk some more about it here. So Yes, we are. So, so I would like to start talking about how this movie does such a great job of operating on multiple yes. levels. Like, I think what I noticed immediately on Twitter um, when it came to feedback about the movie and just people, you know, external processing about the movie, there was a large cohort of folks that were just like, oh my goodness, that was amazing. Like, finally, we had some black people come out alive on a horror movie. Like, just, you know, amazing cinematography. Just really raving about the way that the movie operated on a cinematic level. Mm-hmm. And then you had the cohort, cohort of folks that probably, we probably fall into this uh, cohort. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, dissecting the the themes and the metaphor that Jordan Peele that we at least think Jordan Peele is, yeah. you know, weaving into this movie because, of course, he's never going to tell us. Nope. But I think that's one of the things that just amazes me about this movie is that it's really operating really well on both on both levels. Yeah. In the press buildup to this movie, they were very tight-lipped about some of those themes. But Jordan did say that he wanted to create a spectacle of a movie, just mm-hmm. a summer blockbuster after the the two years we've been through with the pandemic that is still yet going on. Um, just allowing people a place to just forget and just enjoy the movie. Yeah. But we also know that Jordan doesn't just give us that. He nah. gives us so much more. But I think the beautiful thing about this is that if you go to the movie and just watch it, it's still an enjoyable movie, even if you don't dig into the deeper symbol symbolism of it all. So good. Like, even the humor. There was this <laughs> hilarious moment that I think just captured – just quintessential blackness in horror, mm. or at least the blackness that we've been hoping for in yes. horror. Yes. Where OJ, you know, the oldest brother, went into the stable to check on, you know, the lights were coming on by themselves. And lo and behold, this alien like figure not not sneaks up on him, but like walks up on him, mm-hmm. like out in the open. <laughs> and what is the first thing he says? Nope, Mm-mm. nope, 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 nope. <laughs> So it was just this beautiful, like, <laughs> that is what black people have been saying as we've been watching horror movies from our living rooms and from the movie theaters. Nope has been our 
are just unanimous response to like jump takes in, in horror movies or just suspense moments. And Jordan gave us that. And like, that's, that's one of the prime examples of how Jordan was able to just give us this, like, yep, I'm going to give you this great experience, this great cultural experience on the surface. And then if you want to dig, you're going to find something there too. So I think it's important. There's, there's something that we haven't talked about that we didn't talk about in the synopsis, but I think this is pivotal to the rest of the discussion of the movie is that the movie opens up with this monkey. Mm -hmm. Yep. And all you really see in the beginning is just kind of bodies, lifeless bodies. You see, um, you know, blinking lights in this television studio. So this, it's there's a character we didn't mention in our, our synopsis named Jupe, who was a young Asian um, boy at the time. Um, he was a part of a television show. I forget what it was called, but it was a sitcom. Um, oh, what was that called? Gordy's. Yeah, Gordy's so, Home. Gordy's Home. Yep. Uh, which featured a monkey, uh, this Asian American boy with his what we assume is his adopted family, mm-hmm. and so. According to the story about the show, which is, as far as I know, fictional, um, <laughs> uh, they were doing this scene with this with these birthday, and they're giving the the monkey gifts, mm-hmm. and they open up this box, and these balloons come out, and it, when the balloons pop for whatever reason, it triggers the monkey, and he just kills. He the, goes on a rampage. The whole family, except for the little Asian boy. Oh, and the sister, the and white the sister. sister, he does maim her. Yes, profusely. <laughs> profusely. Um, and so Jupe is, ends up being the person that works at the nearby amusement park to uh, the Haywood the Haywood Ranch, I guess we should call it. Mm-hmm. And that's where OJ has been selling his horses. Um, and so, and and before um, Jupe was a part of the Gordy show, he was also played this kid cowboy, which was apparently this kind of iconic kid actor story. Um, of how he kind of got into the movie business. Um, but I think it's, it's important for this because the, the opening scenes and they, and they kind of interplayed these scenes with the monkey over and over again were shot in such detail. I mean, you look at the Twitter comments and even my first impression watching it is that you can just, you could hear and feel everything. Yeah. You could hear bones crunching. You could hear the blood dripping off his face. You could hear, uh, whoever is left alive <laughs> clinging to life. Oh my goodness. You could just feel the tension in these moments. I'm it's re-experiencing it as you're <laughs> describing it. My heart rate's going up. And so the, the way that it was shot, the way the sound is delivered is just unlike anything I've seen or heard or felt in a long time in a movie. And this, I mean, this speaks to, <laughs> to Jordan Peele's just talent. Like I can just, in my sanctified imagination, <laughs> imagine him telling folks like, okay, I want you to mic the mess out of this like <laughs> section of this floor because we want to hear every uh-huh. blood drop. Like I felt the suspense and the fear of that moment yeah. through everything. But I mean, really the visuals didn't super like, play into it for me as much as the sound did. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually have been thinking about that shoe mm-hmm. um, and doing some reading on it. And I didn't, I didn't even like put this together while I was 
watching the movie, at least not consciously, but I felt what the shoe was doing. Mm -hmm. I saw some folks talking about how the shoe, because there was a a little like blue kid shoe that was literally just standing up on its own. Mm -hmm. And the camera would pan to that shoe over like off and on Mm -hmm. whenever we would go back to this, this scene with Gordy, the chimp and folks were saying that this shoe was embodying the idea of waiting for the other shoe to drop. Mm. And I just like, I'm Mm. thinking back to watching that shoe and I would literally, I was waiting for the shoe to drop. Like Mm -hmm. how is this doggone shoe just standing up by itself? And it's just, it's stuff like that, that Jordan Peele does. Like he's telling a whole story with the shoe. Yeah. <laughs> like this embodies what happens when you have this, you know, this this chimp that has been provoked to this point. Yeah. This embodies what it feels like to watch that chimp like just overreact and go on this rampage and you're just waiting for the next gruesome thing to happen in the scene. Yeah. And there was plenty of gruesome things plenty. <laughs> that was happening in that oh, scene. So plenty. <laughs> yeah. So let's let's talk about some of the themes that we've noticed and talked about from this movie. Mm-hmm. I think the first first one we got to look at is tokenism. Um, you know, you can look at it from the entertainment industry, or you can look at it at a more macro level. Um, tell us, tell us about where the tokenism theme began. Yeah. So, uh, so in the in the initial. One of the early scenes of the movie, OJ is at the movie set with um, with one of the horses getting ready to shoot a scene. And he's trying to give them like the safety precautions, things you got to look out for. Here's what you need to be worried about. Here's what we're not going to do around the horse. And he's kind of, you know, OJ is much more understated. Does it really bring any kind of flair to it? And you just kind of hear people whispering, where's the old guy? Right. Is, is this the guy who's supposed to be doing Where's the old guy? And they're like, uh, yeah, disrespectful. He's he's gone. And they're all just kind of like dismissing him. And then Emerald shows up. However many Kiki Palmer. Kiki Palmer, who I don't. Y'all. She needs to get an award for this immediately. Yes, she gets up there and does the song and dance. Gives them the whole show. Gives and so then everybody is paying attention and engaged. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I want to go back to something I talked about earlier. Um. OJ's father died. Um, I give you guys. I'll give this away for you guys. The UFO slash being dropped metal coins and other things, and one of them went through o, uh, Otis Senior's body and killed him. And, the, and one of the objects that they pulled out that OJ kept is a token. So we were watching the movie. I was like, "That token is important." I just can't figure out why. Why my brain didn't immediately go to tokenism? I don't know why. <laughs> But it, I think the movie really speaks powerfully, you know, looking at the Haywood family, looking at Jupe as well, mm-hmm. um, as, you know, looking at these tokens and how these people had to survive in the, in this industry. And at this time, they had to put on a show. They had to be what these people wanted in order to make their way into this industry. Yeah, yeah. And I think what I appreciate about Jordan is he really did give us that kind of um, – what would you call it? Kind of a just a lead in mm. with the movie beginning with, you know, OJ Sr. Um, I'm sorry, not OJ, Otis Sr., the mm-hmm. dad dying, mm-hmm. you know, with, from a token through the eye. Yeah. And I mean, just like you, I was sitting there like, OK, that's the strangest <laughs> way to die. Right. <laughs> but I really think that was Jordan. Like, I'm, I'm going to just give you this a little, I'm gonna mm-hmm. give you this little hint right here. Mm-hmm. And then you you saw it just through the whole movie, just the ways that, like you said, these folks were 
people of color. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, Kiki also embodied the queer LGBTQ community mm-hmm. as well. So you've got these marginalized representatives of, of these communities showing up in these spaces that, I mean, I, I would argue that the con- the contrast or kind of the setting was still this predominantly white setting, mm-hmm. um, you know, because it was still placed in Hollywood when it came to the the Haywood um, the Haywood Ranch, and then also Jupes. Or what, do, what are we calling? I guess we we'll call it like an amusement, amusement park. park. Mm-hmm. You know, the most of the audiences were were white for mm-hmm. both of those things, and so you see these marginalized persons trying to figure out, okay, how how am I going to make it? How am I going to play the game enough to make sure? I can keep food on my table. Yeah, that's and then I mean, have you talked about the monkey? I mean, monkeys are are wild animals, and yeah. to try to turn them into entertainment figures, <laughs> basically, you're wanting them to put on a show for you every night. Mm-hmm. Whether that monkey feels like it, whether that, whether that monkey would rather be doing something else, that's what that monkey is doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that that tokenism piece, I think it's something that we can apply not just to the entertainment industry, but overall, what do minorities and marginalized people have to do to survive? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then even you look at the example of of both Jupe and and the ranch. Was it worth it? The Haywood Ranch was underwater financially. They weren't able to. Re- I mean, OJ was selling the horses to try to keep things afloat, and Jupe's park was existing, but it wasn't exact exactly thriving. Mm-hmm. And he clearly had some residual damage from what happened during the Gordy's home um, incident. Right, right. But was it worth it, all of that? Did the, did the success or whatever notoriety came with putting on the show mm-hmm. cost you more than it gave you? Yeah. And I think, so for me, what I've been trying to figure out is, A, how comfortable am I with Gordy? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because... I, you know, if this tokenism theme is what Jordan is, you know, playing with in the movie, then Gordy is also serving as a symbol for that theme. Mm -hmm. And it just, it just feels too close to the ways that black folks throughout Western American history have been portrayed as brutish Mm -hmm. and often, often compared, you know, called you know, apish and things like that. So I found myself like once I started trying on this tokenism theme Mm -hmm. and wrestling with it, I found myself really feeling kind of uncomfortable with that. So Mm -hmm. I'm I'm kind of still processing that. Mm. And then B, I'm trying to think through whether the UFO slash intro you know, terrestrial Mm -hmm. uh, animal, Mm -hmm. is that also a symbol for this, for the kind of machine of dominant culture? Mm -hmm. My hunch is the answer is yes. Mm -hmm. Because I think, I think what Jordan ends up doing in the movie is showing that the dominant culture is fueled by this kind of exploitative consumerism. Mm -hmm. And so the UFO animal is embodying that and therefore the victory of the Haywood family kind of, you know, overcoming the animal is this example of there are ways that even folks who have either chosen to be tokenized or have been, their choices have been whittled down to the point where they can't not choose being tokenized, Mm -hmm. that there's a way that we can overcome um, the beast, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. In, mm, 
yeah, I think looking at the the intergalactic being slash UFO. <laughs> we have twenty names for this. I know. Thing so I don't far. even know. There's it's not. They didn't have a name for we it. So name I don't know. Him. Oh, I don't know. Does it identify as a gender, Michael? Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> we should name it them. <laughs> I feel like we shouldn't be personifying it. We shouldn't. Because it was mad disrespectful. It was in this movie. mad disrespectful. Um yeah, I think I think along with that consumerism piece, it's this it's this way that we consume content in this current digital age as well. Mm. Like the the you know viral fight videos where people pull out their camera to look at it. Yeah. Um, and so one of the interesting things about this, this being is that it, it tended, it was territorial. So if you looked at it, if you stared at it, it usually led to you getting eaten or consumed by this thing. Mm. But OJ discovered in part of his, it was part of his understanding of how horses operate, that if he didn't look at it, then it would eventually either back down or not, fully consume him Mm. um and i think that's i mean a really powerful metaphor for how 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 we consume things that (laughs) will eventually kill us or hurt hurt our souls or Mm. cost us something on the inside yeah um but when we don't engage with it it might save us for a little bit but it's still coming for us it's still around the corner it's still causing damage around you even Mm -hmm. if you are not participating. Yeah, I think that's solid. I think that's solid. And that for me, what becomes so poetic about the Haywood family ultimately being the ones who triumph over the beast mm-hmm. is OJ's distinctive decision not to give the beast mm-hmm. his gaze. Yeah. And Emerald's distinctive decision to commit to telling this story from 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 her own gaze, right? Mm-hmm. So like her using whatever contraption that was in the in the amusement park to finally take a picture of this thing. Those two things become what overcomes this co- consumeristic exploitative beast. Mm-hmm. And so it's really for me it was an invitation to think about what are the ways that, you know, the black community has and can continue to choose what we give our gaze to. Mm-hmm. Like I know for me, I have completely stopped watching the police, you know, shooting, killing mm-hmm. videos. Like anytime they come up on Twitter, I'm of course, I'm grieving. I'm angry. I'm, you know, I'm ticked off. I'm, I'm crying out to God, but I just refuse to watch. Yeah. Like I just, there's no reason why I need to be, traumatized twice like I already feel it in my bones that this this beautiful black person is gone Mm -hmm. as a result of the state brutalizing them but I don't need to watch it you know what I mean but when I'm able to to step into protest and tell the story of my community and to really embody that and be brave about that you know the way the emerald does in this movie that is that is how I continue to overcome that is how we continue to overcome so it's just a beautiful bit of poetry in that element of the movie. I mean, I'm glad you brought up the the filming of police brutality. I think especially for black people and probably for any marginalized group, it's a way for us to control narratives, to create proof, be able to tell our story our own way. Because because for so long it was, um, you know, you look at the story of like Emmett Till. Oh, gosh. It was a white lady story that no one had any way to refute. And he had to suffer the consequences for that. And so 
I mean, throughout history and even to the present day, we're we're constantly trying to document and tell our own story because for a long time, black people have been locked out of mm-hmm. access to telling our story. Yeah. You know, you know, we even go to the example of the of the um, race riots and in black wall street in tulsa oklahoma a lot of people don't even know that story because mm-hmm. it's it's not being told so i say, think one of the powerful things about this movie is that these are black people and it, you can even widen out to marginalized groups if you include angel who's latino mm-hmm. um emerald who's who also identifies as lgbtq how do we how can we take take these opportunities to tell our story and not be um, beholden to somebody else to tell our history because when somebody else tells our history, they're not going to tell it the way that we can. I, th- yeah. I think one of the biggest things that I've learned um, as a person who really enjoys history is that history is told by the winners. <laughs> and let yep. me tell you right now, marginalized groups have not been the winners yeah. <laughs> yeah. in a lot of these stories. And I think that that was the other kind of cool thing that that I that I think because <laughs> mm-hmm. we'll never find out that mm-hmm. I think Jordan was doing with the mysterious white director mm-hmm. Antlers is you know this was this was if I'm not mistaken the only kind of centralized white main character mm-hmm. other than Jupe's wife I know she was white. she was minor she was yeah a minor she was character. a minor character. Um, but you know, there is, like you said, in the synopsis, this moment where M and OJ invite antlers to come and, and try to, you know, capture this impossible shot, the perfect shot Mm -hmm. of this, of this beast. And, you know, say what you will about his motives for agreeing to help them, but it's almost this, this kind of interplay on, okay, if, if we have marginalized groups trying to figure out how they tell their own story, are we going to choose to use the devices of the majority mm. culture? Mm. Are we going to choose to to partner with the majority culture to tell our stories? Mm-hmm. Or are we really going to use our creativity and use our resources to decide how we tell our story mm-hmm. and what, what devices we use to tell our story? Um, and so I thought that was another kind of cool playfulness with the plot that that Jordan had in the movie because Antlers ends up, you know, by the power of his own ego <laughs> trying to go up and get, you know, he got the shot, but that wasn't good he enough. He wanted an even better he shot. He wanted an even better shot. So, okay, you can get your shot, but you about to be a snack as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's that. <laughs> and so M basically has this decision to make where she's on the, you know, motorcycle and she's deciding, okay, do I just flee? Mm-hmm. Or do I still try to get this shot? Yeah, and she still decides to get the shot. Yeah, but here's the, and the reason why is because even with all this devastation, even with all of this collateral damage that we can show, no one is going to believe anything mm. we have to say if we don't have the the shot. Wow. Which immediately for me translates to real life because <laughs> uh-huh. man, the beast will just brutalize yep. and exploit marginalized folks yeah and you will see dominant culture you know play coy like mm-hmm. oh what oh my goodness what happened to I you i didn't know this was happening why are, why do you have mm-hmm. you know high blood pressure and <laughs> um chronic back pain uh-huh. I, you know you, things seem to be going so well mm-hmm. and it's like you you've been exploiting me for my whole life yeah. dominant culture like but but they'll play like no you know we don't see what's going on so M makes this decision like i am going to get this proof 
if it is the last thing I do, mm-hmm. I'm going to tell my story about yeah. how this beast has affected my home, my community. Yeah. And I'm just like, yes, girl. Do yes. <laughs> Be the hero. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, look, in, in conclusion, Jordan Peele is just, to me, is one of the great storytellers of our time. The GOAT. Um, you have to you have to look at his and we I think I needed help to help understand some of the things that happened in this movie. Mm-hmm. I knew there was more than what meets the eye, but I just needed help, and so I'd do some reading and some research. And once certain themes in Easter eggs got opened up to me, I was like, Ah, there it is! It all came together. It all came together. And so um, it's just been impressive to see his rise from Key and Peele. Yo, would have never thought that the creators of that show would be doing what he's doing now but at this level. But you know what, though? I wouldn't sell Key and Peele short. Now, I done watched Key and Peele to death. If if it was a if it was a VHS, <laughs> it wouldn't play anymore, okay? <laughs> and the writing that they do, now that you know, there's some corn involved. Yes, always. As always. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's purposeful. Yeah. But it's like the creativity even in that show, the things, like the angles that they would find mm-hmm. in the way that, that people interact like and of course I mean you know it's it's not a novel idea that comedians often have a kind of genius to them mm-hmm. um, but I think even in Key and Peele you could see this this really unique way of seeing the world that we now get to appreciate in movies like Get Out and Us mm-hmm. and, and Nope and it just it's so cool just seeing Jordan's capacity for anticipating what meaning folks are going to take from his movie. Mm-hmm. And you can, you can almost see him kind of playing with that, like yeah. giving, giving a little bit of a hint or kind of, um, kind of satisfying that assumption that he knows people are going to make. And then he, you'll see him just yeah. take a left, like, yeah. but I'm gonna take you over here with yeah. this theme. And it's yeah. just, it's super cool. Yeah. So in review, go see the movie. <laughs> See it a couple times. Yes. And then do some research. Do some reading. Try to learn what you can about the movie. There's just, there's so much there. And even what we've talked about is not the extensive list of themes and things that you can pull away from this movie. But we would love to hear what you guys think about the movie. Uh, Use the hashtag TalkAboutItPOD and let us know what you thought about the movie. What did you hear? What did you see? Did you learn anything from what we talked about? Let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Indeed. So, now we pivot to our relationship segment. <laughs> I was about to do some music, but I don't have any like relationship music. Yeah, I don't know. What, what, what will we play? Just like that. <laughs> I want you to go and produce that this evening. Okay, thank you. Um, so, we are going to purposefully be vague. Yes. Uh, because we don't want all of that noise mm-hmm. um, but basically you know at the time that we have recorded this it's you know august of 2022 and you may have noticed that there's been an influx of public figures recently who have engaged in some behaviors <laughs> that some folks maybe even the black community the black christian community the black christian community that appreciates gospel music <laughs> Have been heartbroken by, disappointed by. Mm-hmm. And so what we want to do instead of like naming those people, it's just, just we want to take an opportunity to talk about what apologies are and mm-hmm. like what even 
is the basis of apologies in the first place in relationships and all of that jazz. So just wanted to start off by letting you know, we are going to be purposefully vague here. Yes. So <laughs> so don't be trying to get us to say who nope. we're talking about. You're not going to put nobody on blast, yeah. y'all. Sorry. We're not here for that. Um, Unless it's Tyler Perry, season one. Check oh, it out. gosh. Well, I think I think we did it relatively gently. I mean, we did use his name <laughs> the whole time. We like We didn't like try to oh. cover it up. It's cool. Ah. <sighs> Well, there's that. It's already <laughs> been done. It's out there. Um, so, so Malcolm, one question that I've been thinking about as we've been preparing for this is, like, when you think about relationships, what would you say we owe each other mm. in relationships? If if anything, like, you mm. could just be like, I don't owe nobody nothing, which, mm. which I've heard before. But what do you think? I think we owe each other to to value our opinions and our perspectives. Um. Mm respect i mean that seems like a real like cookie cutter answer but i mean yeah well then how would you define respect i think respect comes with understanding and accepting people's boundaries for one Mm. their dignity as humans Mm -hmm. um respecting their agency yeah um just name a few things that i think we owe each other yeah i agree with that i think I really appreciated the the respect, like the way that you define that, especially with agency and just just being curious about and respecting people's boundaries. Um, but I've also been like asking myself, do we owe each other in relationships loyalty? Mm. Like I hear a lot of folks throwing that word around. I think on the onset, like if you if you are committed to someone, you you know, you're in a friendship with someone, you're in a situationship with someone you're in a relationship (laughs) with somebody you know there's this idea that or I think this mutual understanding that you are committed to one another until there's been a significant breach in the relationship Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. question mark um so those are some things that come to mind but I also think another thing that we owe each other in relationship is caring about how you impact that person Mm. like on a base level if you're if you're sharing a commitment with someone that there that there should be this kind of cur- constant curiosity about like how do the decisions that i make affect this person mm-hmm. um and simply because i want the best for them i want yeah i want them to thrive i want them to be respected i want them to be valued and so i'm going to commit to being curious about do my actions lend to that mm. or does it actually Impede mm-hmm. or prevent that from happening. Mm. Yeah. How do, how do, I think, man, I think we can be aware of where, what people, what their needs are, what they, um, what their boundaries are, but do you actually adhere to that? Do you actually, right. listen, do you actually like accept it and, and work around it? And do, do you actually, do you actually, do something to find out mm-hmm. like yeah. if you cross their yeah. boundary and if <laughs> and if are you just crossing the boundary so you don't have to deal with the fallout of it Ooh. or because you care about that person Ooh. yeah yep <laughs> cuz i think a lot of a lot of unhealthy relationships and maybe relationships in general is that you you want to avoid the emotional fallout yeah more than you want to not hurt a person but I also think that 
I think that changes with maturity. Mm -hmm. Like I'm thinking back to when I was just a lot less emotionally mature than I am now. Mm -hmm. That there were some relationships where that was kind of my kind of my default. Like, Mm -hmm. let me just, you know, just let me just figure out what I need to do so that. I don't do something so that there's there's an issue, right? Mm-hmm. But then there's also like there's sometimes where your relationship gets to that point because because you've maybe had so many offenses in that relationship mm. or so many conflicts in that relationship yeah. that the affection that you have for that person has kind of whittled down mm. to where you are no longer motivated by like a care and a concern and a compassion for that person, but you're just like in maintenance mode. Like, yeah. let me, let me just, <laughs> let me just do what I got to do mm-hmm. so that we don't end up falling out again. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of interesting that you brought that up because I think there's, there's some factors including maturity and just like the health of the relationship itself that can actually affect what motivates us to care about people's boundaries. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to, let's just say you've a, offended or hurt somebody Mm. what do we owe people in those situations what do we people that specifically that we're in a relationship with what what is required of us or should be required of us when we do that yeah i think on a base level what's first required is curiosity Mm. like you know be curious about that person's ex- like experience of your behavior. Because mm-hmm. one of the things that I've learned, you know, just from living, but also from, you know, I do serve as a therapist. So there's some research that confirms this. <laughs> <laughs> but we do not have a very accurate picture of ourselves. Like mm-hmm. we tend to overestimate how positive we are. Yeah. And that's just, that's just, a, that's just a human experience right so I think the first thing we owe someone if if there's been an offense you if we've hurt someone is to be curious about what is their telling of mm. how we affected them yeah I think that would be the first thing but I also think like <laughs> what I, I think what we're essentially talking about here is like what makes a good apology mm-hmm. like what is what's essential yeah I know for me one of the things that has always been difficult is if I'm in a conflict with someone and they kind of, you might've heard this before. Like there's this kind of throwaway line. Well, we don't, we don't have to go through all that Mm. in terms of describing like what happened or even coming to a mutual agreement about what happened. Mm -hmm. I'll often hear like, we don't need to go into the details. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, no, you don't have to like, I guess, litigate the details to death so that there's a a perfect agreement about what happened. But if I say that you hit my car (laughs) while I was parked and you say that you, that I hit your car while you were parked, those are two completely different versions of the story. Mm -hmm. So I think another essential part of like repair after an offense is like, let's at least come to an agreement of some kind acknowledgement of what happened. Yeah. Um, cause I think at, at a certain point there are relational dynamics where people are gaslighted mm-hmm. because their partner or, you know, whoever they're in a relationship, friend, situationship person just will not acknowledge mm-hmm. that 
they had a negative impact on them. And yeah. that can make someone feel so disoriented yeah. because then it's like, okay, like I was sitting in my car when you hit me while I was parked. So, but did you hit me? While I was, like you start questioning your own yeah. sense of reality. Yeah. I, I just, I, I, uh, I think about the apologies that you do hear from people. Well, I'm sorry that you felt that way. Woo Lord. You know, not, I'm sorry that I hurt you. Not, I'm sorry this offended you. Well, I'm sorry that you had feelings. Basically, I'm sorry that you had feelings. <laughs> I'm sorry that you reacted to the right. thing that I did. <laughs> like, really? And that gets to the core of that not acknowledging, not having an agreement on what the offense is. The confession. Yeah. Right? Like, and it's so interesting because I I know, like, I'm just thinking about times where I've been emotionally unhealthy and I've just been unwilling to mm-hmm. just fess up yeah. right like to just say i i did i hurt this person mm-hmm. and what i'm aware of in hindsight is that there was this wrestling within myself about whether or not i was still a good person and worthy of love mm-hmm. if i admitted mm-hmm. to having hurt that person yeah and sometimes i wonder if that's what a lot of people are kind of wrestling with too that you know maybe give incomplete apologies Mm -hmm. is I wonder if they're wrestling with that too. Like if it feels too heavy to just admit like, yeah, I I did hurt you. Like, does that feel like you're admitting to being a bad person too? Mm -hmm. Well, I I think that goes to people's idea of intent. Like, Oh, I didn't mean to hurt you. Mm. I didn't mean to hurt you because I was, I didn't say it maliciously. So do I need to apologize if I wasn't, if I wasn't being malicious with it? It's like it's the same thing we were we're talking about. Like people say a racist comment. Oh, I I don't know where that came from. I just well, it doesn't matter where it came from or why you said it. You said an offensive thing, and and now it needs to be addressed. Yeah, not oh, I didn't mean to say it. So we're good. Yo, and that you know what I will say is our society does not give us any breaks in terms of learning how to do that well because our culture continues to send us the message that. You only do the things that you mean to do. Mm-hmm. Like your will, <laughs> your intent is God. Mm. Like that's that's the core of individualism. Yeah. That's the core of you know the American dream is you can will if you can will anything into existence. And so when it comes to these infractions or these offenses within relationships, I think that idea, that belief is still operating. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, if I didn't mean to do it, then it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I, I hate to break it to you, it's but still, it still <laughs> happened, we are humans who operate on autopilot <laughs> most of the time, <laughs> mm-hmm. who are interacting with other humans who are operating on autopilot. And both of our autopilots are informed by a whole different <laughs> set of beliefs and emotions uh, and hydration levels and sleep level. Like you are going to hurt some, I'm going to hurt somebody. We're all going to hurt somebody without yeah. meaning to. Mm-hmm. And so when you come to someone and you say, I'm acknowledging that I hurt you, mm-hmm. you're just acknowledging that you're human. And that person was hurt by something that, that you did, but that doesn't mean that you're like a terrible person. Mm-hmm. So real quick before we before we end, we're we're talking a lot about people that you're in a relationship with and from that perspective. Yeah. But when we see public figures, oh. whether it be a politician, celebrity, whatever, do we hold them to that same standard? Yikes. Of what we ask for them in an apology. Okay. 
I've been thinking a lot about this, and I think the answer to that question is it depends, which is every answer to every question in yep. <laughs> ever. But it depends on what kind of work that person is doing, I think. Like, mm-hmm. I think if you're doing work that is, oh, how would I categorize it? Work that is aimed toward bettering society in some kind of way. Like if you're mm-hmm. in a helping field or if you're in a part of the entertainment industry that is attached to the Christian faith, which mm. is basically rooted in the idea that we're here to make the world better. <laughs> <laughs> like if that's what you do for a living, I think the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. That like, I think you do have a commitment to the public and that you do like, owe the public something. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're in one of those helping positions and basically you're, your MO is I'm just here to make money. Mm-hmm. And if y'all are upset about something I did, well then that's on you. It just, it kind of chafes against yeah. the core, you know, kind of fabric of what you claim to do as mm-hmm. a professional. Yeah. I think I, first of all, you're right. I think you're right in the, the standard. There's still a high standard, particularly for people that are, um, in helping fields or in service fields or mm. something like that. But I also have, I think I have a different standard for people that I'm not in a relationship with because I don't know them. True. Yeah. Like you hurt a bunch of people, but you didn't hurt me specifically. Probably. <laughs> I mean, there's, I'm sure there's something that we could dig up that hurt right. me personally, right. but um, you don't, necessarily owe me a specific ap- apology or a target yeah. apology and i'm not looking for that from a celebrity i'm not or a person a public figure like i want you to acknowledge that what you did was wrong but i'm also not going to wait with bated breath and read the statement <laughs> and dissect it looking for my name right. specifically and like oh did, did he hit all the points like cool you apologized i might not listen to you no more i might not rock with right. you anymore right and keep it moving that's my version of cancel culture. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, I don't, I don't expect them to be my moral compass. Yeah, yeah. Now I would, I want them to live above reproach. That would be my hope and my prayer for them that they could live a life that way. That's a good reflection for mm. the community, for children, for whoever else looks up to them. But I've been around long enough to know that even the highest of public officials and the most famous of people are just humans true and they mess when they mess up the stakes may be higher for them but at the end of the day they're still fallible yeah and you know i don't i don't even think though that my desire is for them to be above reproach mm-hmm. i think my desire is that if you are engaging in some kind of transaction with the public that you at least care yeah. about how you impact me. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's really just it. Like, you can please make mistakes. Like, you have <laughs> you have permission to do that because you are human. Mm-hmm. But if I hear in your apology this kind of, like what we were talking about earlier, this unwillingness to acknowledge the way that you've impacted the mm-hmm. people who consume your art or your services, mm-hmm. Then I'm kind of like, well, dang, like, <laughs> so I mean nothing to you for real, though, right. you know. So I, and maybe that you know, say what you will about whether that's way too much to ask, but I think that's just something that I crave from people that I 
give my money to, right? Mm-hmm. So just like you said, if I see that a public figure is not offering that kind of way of interacting with the public, then I can quietly decide yeah. not to engage with their product. And the last thought I'll give before we before we wrap up for today, um, I think this a lot of this goes to the feelings that you have about apologies and about public figures, I think go to how we've changed how we interact with certain celebrities and public figures. Whereas the, in the old days it was kind of like a product, but really when you are a fan of somebody or you follow somebody, you're buying into them as a person. Mm, yeah. Like social media gives us a certain level of access. All of the, the 24 hour news cycle gives us a certain level of access. So when we really become a fan of somebody, really enjoy somebody, we're really buying into them as a person, even more so than what they do. That's really what it feels like. Yeah. So when a person hurts you, or offends you, you want them to show that they care about you just as much as you care about them. Yeah. And maybe, maybe that's unfair. Like, I, I can I can almost anticipate folks listening to this and being like, look, this is a capitalist <laughs> society. Uh-huh. If you give me 20 bucks for my album, you decided to give me 20 bucks for my album. And that's fair. That's totally fair. But then you'll be at the concert. I love y'all. Oh, my gosh. Oh, right. I was in a dark place and y'all pulled me out with y'all love. Don't, I don't love y'all so much. <laughs> you just ain't love. This is a transaction. <laughs> Call it that. <laughs> All right, Micah. So tell us what we talked about today. Let's review before we head out. Oh, you know, we talked about stuff and things, right? That's enough? No. That's, that's something. <laughs> so we talked about the critically acclaimed director, Jordan Peele, and his newest project, Nope. We dug into a quick synopsis, talked about the way that the movie operates on on two different levels of of meaning and entertainment and really dug into what we think is the theme of tokenism um, in the movie. And then we shifted to talking about apologies in our relationship segment. And we explored what is it that we owe one another in relationship, if anything, and does that kind of translate to public figures? Do they owe us anything? And how do we kind of figure out what what to do? What's the essential things to do when there is an offense or something between folks in a relationship, whether that's one-on-one or us and, and someone who's a public figure? So with that in mind, this is, of course, just the beginning of the conversation. We yep. would absolutely love for you to continue that conversation um, we want to hear what you thought, what even what your disagreements are. Like, we want to hear it all. That's the whole point of this podcast. Yes, so, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> Malcolm, if someone did want to continue the conversation with us on Twitter, say, mm. where would they find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram, Malcolm M A L C O L M D O T Media on on Twitter and Instagram. Nice, nice, and you can find me. Only on Twitter <laughs> at J Marie Morgan. Yes. And we've like we said, we've missed you guys. You guys, we promise you when we take a break next time, it won't be as long and yes. it will be for a set amount of time. <laughs> <laughs> but the pandemic took a lot out of us guys. So we needed a break. Yeah. But we're back. We're better than ever. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Let's Talk About It. I'm Malcolm Morgan. And I'm Micah Morgan. And we'll see you all next time.